Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the Crypto and Muay Thai podcast. I am very fortunate today to welcome my special guest, Peng Zong. He is the CEO of Tendermint. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tendermint is involved with one of the currently, as we speak, one of the more uh, hotter digital assets that's that's going on within the space. Um, uh, with that being Cosmos. So without further ado, Pung, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to join us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you for inviting me onto this show. Thank you so much. It is, it is my absolute pleasure. So for those that might be uh, listening or viewing that aren't familiar with yourself or um, you know, some of the protocols or the networks that you're involved in, why don't you just give a quick background on yourself and then we can just sort of uh, just kick the conversation off from there. Sure. Sounds great. Uh, so a little about me, I'm currently the CEO of Tendermint, the company that built the Cosmos SDK and the one that launched the Cosmos network. Uh, the Cosmos SDK is the, the most widely used you know, proof of stake blockchain framework in the world. Uh, and it secures, I think, more than 6 billion USD worth of assets across various blockchains, including the Cosmos Hub and, and you know, Binance Chain and quite a few others that are, I think, very hot right now, like, uh, like Band and Kava, Terra, projects like those. Yes, um, I'm just, I'm taking down, I'm taking down notes, but yes, I, could, I completely agree because uh, you come from, uh, I'll just say like a useful perspective to the space. Like you are an entrepreneur actually building something and you're trying to change the future in and of itself, like right now, whereas I'm coming at it more from a speculator perspective. So I know everything that's going on in this space. So Kava 100% has been extremely hot. Band has been even hotter and Cosmos, the Atom token for those that are listening has recently started to to catch pace uh with those so I, i've been an investor um in adam personally so those are some of the things that i've recently um really been keeping an eye on but also masari um recently put out a piece and i think they're doing a part two that was released today talking about the comparisons between the ethereum blockchain and the cosmos blockchain but then also some of the natural ways that, that can you know sort of break down the use cases? So you've got the price oracles, you've got uh, different DeFi um, operations and applications and stuff like that, and what that could mean for Cosmos moving forward if it was able to gradually um, take away more and more market share from uh, Ethereum as well. Yeah, so I think this is all something that the Cosmos community is all very excited about, right? The idea of creating our own DeFi ecosystem around Cosmos that serves as an alternative you know, to the Ethereum ecosystem. And I think the primary difference right, between the two ecosystems is that on Ethereum, everything happens right now on one blockchain. Right? I'm not gonna dive into Ethereum 2.0 right now, but as of Ethereum 1.0, all the DeFi protocols, all the value transfer, all the assets are stored on one blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain. And, uh, and for us, the reason why we're building Cosmos is because we, we realize that you know, there's a lot of limitations to all of these companies, these organizations and developers essentially working off of one giant spreadsheet, right? Imagine like multiplayer Google Sheets with you know, tens of thousands of people editing it at the same time. That's Ethereum. Uh, and yeah, the one word that separates Cosmos from Ethereum is sovereignty, right? We, 
we are very practical and we believe that, you know, many projects can happen, you know, siloed away from each other on their own chain. Um, and of course, that begs the question, like, how do these interoperate with each other, right? If they all on their own chain. And that is the biggest problem right now that we're, or we're solving as a community. So many of the core developers in the community and within our company are working together to launch the IBC protocol, the Inter-Blockchain Communications Protocol, um, which will allow you know, all of these projects to remain sovereign chains, but to be able to exchange value, to be able to exchange assets and data with each other. Got you. That's, that's really, really interesting. And also, um, that's a really good analogy of Ethereum, you know, likening to a Google spreadsheet where everyone in the world or all the developers are essentially porting into it and trying to make adjustments and come to consensus at the same exact time. That sounds like chaos. So that's actually a really um, unique perspective, but also it kind of falls in line with uh, what we're seeing currently or what we've seen historically with Ethereum as well, um, where there's been a lot of technical issues and but then also a lot of consensus issues that haven't necessarily um, happened in a timely manner. So I even think that the transition over to 2.0 has not gone as expeditious as some of the developers within the community would have liked. So I, I think when did you start seeing that as a potential opportunity for you to create an entirely different um, network to uh, solve some of the scalability issues that you were seeing with Ethereum or still see to this day? Yeah, so I wasn't the original creator of this idea, right? I'm sure many people had this idea in the past. You know, the moment they saw Bitcoin and they scaled out, you know, what would happen if Bitcoin value rose and how much electricity it would consume, you know, through proof of work. And uh, one of those people was Jay Kwan, you know, the original CEO and founder of Tendermint. Um, he was CEO up until, you know, three months ago. And uh, he still is part of the company as the chief architect, right? He's spending a lot of time thinking into the future about, you know, what crypto means, you know, seeing how Ethereum is scaling into DeFi, you know, how to make sure DeFi experiments continue to be scalable and continue to be secure, you know, without, let's say, taking down an entire blockchain with it. So he started this company um, early in 2014. Um, with the concern of the environment, right? And how much electricity Bitcoin was using. So Bitcoin today uses roughly the amount of electricity that Switzerland uses on an annual basis. And that's a massive amount of consumption that, um, you know, that we argue with proof of stake networks does not need to happen if people switch to proof of stake from, you know, Nakamoto consensus, proof of work consensus. So with that in mind, all the way, in 2014, right? Six years ago, we started working on this together. Um, I joined the company as the first employee in late 2015 um, with a background in design. Interesting. So it was originally, you didn't look at it from an Ethereum perspective. You're like, okay, Ethereum's got you know, these issues, or maybe I just want to compete with it or even do a money grab like we saw in, in 2017 with the ICO boom. You looked at it strictly as a solution um, to the proof of work scalability issue, specifically targeting the energy consumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, you know, when Tendermint Byzantine fault throttle consensus was, was created and invented by Jay Kwan, you know, in 2014, you know, Ethereum was barely beginning as well. There were sort of two, you know, alternate 
sorry about the noise. I think the upstairs neighbors are doing something. Um, no worries. Yeah, what was I? Yeah, so Ethereum was not even thought of as a competitor when we first started. And, you know, to this day, it's still not a project we consider as a competitor. You know, we want to work with Ethereum. And there are, you know, great research being done into figuring out how we can connect from Cosmos into the Ethereum world through the idea of uh, peg zones. Interesting. So uh, maybe it's going to be difficult to let's double click into peg zones because I, I want to understand more from that. Let's just go as far uh, as we can with that before we start getting people in the weeds. But I'm really, really interesting. So let, let's talk more about that. Yeah. So on a high level, what a peg zone is, is just a place for you to deposit um, Ethereum tokens like uh, ETH or ERC20 tokens, right? have a third party hold it for you, and they would issue you Cosmos ETH, Cosmos ERC20 tokens in return. Okay. And so you have to rely entirely, you know, on, the, on this third party to, to hold these tokens for you, and which will allow you to, you know, play around in the Cosmos ecosystem with these PEG ETH and PEG ERC20 tokens. Okay, I got you. I, I see what you're saying. So essentially, a little bit... Uh almost identical to what Ethereum has been doing with wrapped BTC um, with what they've been uh, growing within the, the DeFi ecosystem. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that's okay. exactly correct. Okay. Got you. Got you. All right. So you, okay. So um, Jaquan has started uh, Tenderman has founded it and how, how has that process been? So I've mentioned it several times on this particular podcast, and it's just sort of like a euphemism for life. You always start with like these general, this high level theory. And you're like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. It makes perfect sense. But then once you actually get out in the real world and try to apply it in practice, almost not, you know, 10 out of 10, uh, it's entirely different. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to start from scratch, but you definitely need to make a few pivots. So what were those for Cosmos or Tendermint um, whenever you guys were starting out all these years back, you know, even beginning in 2015? Yeah, I would say luckily there haven't been too many major pivots, um, but, you know, things have definitely taken much longer than we expected you know, in terms of development time. So do you think that that is the, the byproduct um, of... I guess I would say decentralization. So like you said before, Ethereum is one main blockchain. It's one network where everyone's porting in, whereas uh, Cosmos is uh, an aggregation or an amalgamation of different participants on the said network, uh, which there's a, there's a trade-off. You know, there's always a trade-off in life. So do you feel that the increased flexibility and scalability of Cosmos makeup was one of the reasons why it kind of took a little bit longer or is the technology that you're looking to, to kind of build out um, that far in the cutting edge that it took a few revisions because I mean, in this space, you, everyone is essentially creating the future as we sit here and speak. Yeah, I would say it's much more the latter. Um, there's been some very ambitious teams, you know, like we mentioned in the past, like, like Band and Kava and Terra, who decided to build these blockchains themselves using the SDK, which we provide, even though, you know, there's no interoperability protocol existing yet, right? So in large part, a lot of people who invest in these tokens and even the Cosmos Atom are hoping that, you know, the IBC upgrade goes well, that we'll all be able to connect these chains together 
and, and manage some sort of you know, decentralized economy that will horizontally scale because we expect you know, almost all scaling will be taken care of through the idea of introducing more and more sovereign blockchains. Interesting. So when is the, um, the, the target date for the release uh, that of, the, of the IBC upgrade? Am I saying that right? IBC is it IDC? That's right. IBC. So we're wrapping together the upgrade of IBC with, a, with you know, several other very great features for the Cosmos SDK uh, under a name called Stargate. And this has been a community push from you know, all Cosmos validators, Cosmos Atom holders, Cosmos core developers. And uh, you know, I'm hesitant to put dates to it because we've, we've missed so many dates in the past as a community. But um, things are looking good. We're having weekly updates um, given by Zaki Munyan, who's the, the CEO of Occlusion, who's been leading this process. And uh, the first test nets for Stargate look to be starting up you know, in the coming weeks. Okay. And okay. we hope to have IBC, you know, live on the Cosmos Hub and live on, you know, all the other chains that are running the SDK. Um, I would like to say by the end of the year. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so that's that's potentially uh, huge news. So, again, it's very difficult whenever you're making. It seems like whenever development or product development is. In involved at all to to make declarative things, especially whenever you're trying to get uh, a wide range of of different stakeholders involved. But it, it seems like if that can come to fruition, that's potentially quite powerful. Which might kind of align, uh, which get a, a little bit of an, a, an additional boost of sentiment, given that might align with maybe like the first iteration of 2.0 of a of Ethereum if it makes the transition over. Not uh, in time, I believe. Yeah, I believe Ethereum 2.0 seems to be moving along quite well, right? The the Medalla testnet, I believe, just started recently, and uh, you know, people are starting to validate on that. So that's that's exciting to hear. Um, I'm not really up to date on the current Ethereum 2.0 roadmap, but I do believe there are like multiple phases, right, over the course of months. So it's not clear to me yet when you know Ethereum 2.0 may launch mainnet. Gotcha. But so we're really excited, you know, to work with the Ethereum community in you know getting it to to mainnet and also to collaborate with them uh, one project or project that we're working on in the community is this idea of ethermint have you heard of it no i have not please tell okay so ethermint um what we propose as sort of eth 1.5 you know as people wait for eth 2.0 we have this solution waiting in the wings it's not entirely complete yet either um it's currently working on by the company chainsafe also based in toronto and the idea is it uses the Ethereum virtual machine, right? Use, letting you use all of Ethereum's tooling, things like um, the MetaMask wallet or you know, the Truffle Suite or Solidity, right? Solidity is the big one. You're able to use all the knowledge you, you've learned building um, smart contract apps on Ethereum and you're able to use them on Ethereum. Okay. And so what makes, yeah. So the thing that makes Ethermint different than Ethereum 1.0 or 2.0 is that this entire EVM is built on top of the Cosmos SDK. So it is built to be, you know, based on proof of stake from the beginning. Okay, very, very interesting. That's one of the, so I, I hadn't heard of that. And I wonder if 
you know, I would say a decent amount of people in the community or just in the digital asset ecosystem has heard of it as well, because that has the potential to be something that is quite attractive um, for a variety of reasons. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Ethereum, even the transition over to 2.0, even for the very diehard developers, it's not something that it hasn't gone as quickly, I think, as a lot of people would look at. But also, whenever you kind of talk about that, it it reminds me of something separate that I was having on a, a separate podcast, just talking about product market fit eventually whenever digital assets become way more mainstream. It's that the end user doesn't even know that they're engaging with a blockchain or, or anything like that. That isn't necessarily the case here, but it could be adding a value prop for um, developers or node operators or whatever, whoever it may be existing now that is in, that wants to engage with that without even knowing that they're actually flowing through the Cosmos SDK, which I think is something very interesting um, in and of itself. Uh, I'm thinking more from a speculation perspective, but also um, from a use case perspective as well. Yeah, I think you raised a really good point, something that I really resonate with. Um, you know, ever since I got into blockchain, and even before blockchain, right, I come from a design background, interface design, front-end development. That was my thing. I worked as a freelance web developer for six years, you know, before getting, you know, diving more deeply into crypto. And uh, one thing I always think about as you know, as the community builds out these protocols and builds out these frameworks is how do we get mainstream adoption, right? Um, I think there's a lot of tendency in the community to, you know, to communicate primarily with other crypto speculators, you know, crypto developers and to compete in the space of crypto. But I think there's an opportunity that we're not seeing here, which is to expand beyond that into the greater, you know, mainstream developer community of, you know, mobile app developers, game developers, web application developers. And, you know, in addition to something like Ethermint, which will bring on, you know, a lot of Ethereum developers who are maybe unsatisfied with how much it costs to make transactions due to the, you know, the high price of gas today, is how do we bring on mainstream developers? So that's one of the things that I'm focused on within the company right now. And one, you know, our most recent product release is something called Starboard. And uh, it's not, something that's groundbreaking. It's, it's based off of something like Rails, actually. But what it does do is it takes the Cosmos SDK, which is already widely used, you know, by many of these new DeFi projects, and um, is able to communicate about the SDK in a way that web developers and uh, mobile developers understand. So it's a, it's a scaffolding tool, right, that writes a lot of code for you and takes you through the process of developing, building, launching a blockchain um, in the process of minutes instead of hours. Okay. Do, so where do you think the initial uh, push for that could, could come from? So meaning what, what particular area segments do you think that something that a blockchain solution um, might be, more efficient or just something that is uh, desired despite 
the the general friction that it takes to kind of engage uh, with a blockchain solution at this particular point. Gambling, obviously, being one of the more notorious and well-known um, use cases. Is there anything else in your particular mind where you look at like this is the this is the avenue or the sector I'm trying to tap into? Yeah, that's the question we've been having internally. And there are, I believe, many sectors that could benefit from blockchain technology. You know, the most obvious one right, is decentralized finance. Take the current finance industry and, um, and make it more open, make it more transparent, make it all recorded on the ledger, right? And um, something that's been, you know, a great idea that people have been having in the community. And, you know, a reason why a lot of people work in this community is the idea of accountability by, by organizations, governments, um, you know, large entities where it's entirely unclear, you know, where funds are going, right? And by being able to place them on chain, you're able to follow, you know, the, the trajectory of a token, you know, from one party to another or, you know, through, through a process of hundreds of hops around the ecosystem. And that level of transparency would be great to have, you know, in larger organizations. And beyond that, right, if we want to go into the, the use cases that I'm really passionate about, which is, um, you know, gaming, social, social networks, um, and the idea of collectibles. And, you know, collectibles sound like some, some small thing, but one of the biggest markets today, right, is the, is the fine art market, which is, you know, billions of dollars a year and can also be represented on chain through the idea of non-fungible tokens or NFTs. So there's a lot of areas that, um, that have potential compelling use cases on blockchain. And uh, my goal with the Starport tool is to make that, you know, functionality readily apparent to mainstream app developers. Okay, that that makes that makes sense. How so? Outside of the usability for for Starport, do you think that there is a competitive advantage, for lack of a better word, for engaging with the Cosmos SDK versus saying like, all right, um, let me let me look at Tron, let me look at uh, EOS, let me look at Ethereum or anything like that, because, you know, I, I realize you don't consider yourself direct competitors, you know, with Ethereum, so, but, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, there's still a select group of, of, of these individuals that you're kind of vying for mind share and having, um, hot new assets for better or worse that are within this extremely burgeoning era, you know, area of the market. 2020 is clearly the year of DeFi within this space definitely helps um, get on the radar of some of these new people. So do you think that there is a competitive advantage outside of Starport and, and maybe just the general makeup of the Cosmos SDK that might be something that, you know, an additional sweetener whenever you go to these individuals to say like, hey, I realize the learning curve might be a little something at the beginning, but here's X benefit, here's Y benefit, and ultimately, if you can get past X and Y, you'll get Z benefit. Yeah, sure. So I think one clear difference that, that we have today is, um, you know, primarily sovereignty. You're able to take the code, use it as you wish. There is no restrictive licensing, right? It's all Apache 2.0. You can use it, do whatever you want with it. You know, it doesn't even have to benefit the value of the Atom token in the end, right? We've provided this SDK, um, funded through millions of dollars, you know, worth of R&D, and it's freely available to anyone who want to build their own business, 
right? And I think that is one very compelling advantage to the Cosmos ecosystem. You know, we're not saying, we're not shilling you on a token at all. We're saying that, you know, take this, do whatever you want with it. If you want, you know, connect to us through IBC. If you don't want to, you know, create your own competing ecosystem because we see this as the future, right? And, uh, you know, we're not trying to take advantage of you. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? So you've mentioned a couple times the Atom token. So for those that don't know, that's just the native token of the, the Cosmos ecosystem. So mm -hmm. we, we've mentioned it a few times. Let's, let's talk about that um a little bit what is the atom token what is its utilization um in its in the current makeup or, or formation of the network yeah so we imagine in the cosmos ecosystem um it'll be set up in a way that you know a lot of blockchains end up connecting to centralized hubs because um there is a certain level of processing power that needs to happen you know to sort of move tokens across different chains. And it makes the most sense if there are, you know, more highly valued chains sort of at the center of, of a number of um, chains that connect to it. So why does this have to happen? Um, it's because the Cosmos hub, right? The current valuation of the atom is based on what the atom can do in the future. So right now the atom does, you know, very little. Um, but one of the biggest things we're looking to add, you know, that will increase the utility of the atom is this idea of shared security. So within the ecosystem, there are a number of chains built on top of the Cosmos SDK, right? But there are very few chains that have a greater market cap than the Cosmos hub. And the Cosmos hub is currently over 1 billion USD. Uh, if you try and check coincap.io or coingecko. And um, this is the original chain. That, that spawned, you know, every other chain built on top of the SDK because the people who fundraised for the Cosmos Hub put that money into building the SDK and made it available for everyone else. And because the, the, the Cosmos Hub has, you know, one of the highest market shares of SDK-enabled chains, the security level of the chain is the highest, right? It's a pretty simple equation um, due to the fact that the proof-of-stake network, right? Um, the higher the valuation of the chain, really, it can be argued the more secure the chain is. Okay. And what do we do with this security? Um, the security, we believe, should be shared among other chains. You know, other chains that need a higher level of security. Okay. I can, yeah, I can explain the one possible use case. Right? I mentioned Ethernet earlier, which hasn't okay. launched either, but it's a chain that um, supports the EVM allows you to port over the Solidity applications of Ethereum, you know, relatively painlessly. But um, how do we get people, how do we get developers to port over their smart contracts, right? Um, the reason why Ethereum is so big today is because, you know, it's like, I don't know, worth how much, over 40, 40 billion, I think, in market cap today. And uh, the market cap by itself is a signifier to developers that this is going to be a stable platform. You know, it has lasted six years already. It'll probably be here for the foreseeable future. And this level of security makes people feel confident that this platform will exist for a long time, right? But for something like Ethermint, which currently has no backing, you know, has no value right now, how do we get developers to start using it? Well, this is where shared security comes in. We'll lend, you know, some of the security on Cosmos 
you know, currently over 1 billion USD worth of security over to Ethernet. And we hope this, you know, tighter level of connection between the two chains will, um, you know, make developers feel like that this ecosystem also has a future and that it will also be here for the long term. Okay. I think that's, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and it makes, it makes sense. It goes back to the central premise that you guys are, or I guess the central design where you have is uh, decentralization for the, for the sovereignty as you describe it. Uh, so that, that makes sense given the, the core focus, or I, I should say the, the core design. How does, how does the Atom token, how do the rewards flow into the Atom token? So for any of the listeners that, that might be watching this, they're like, okay, I, I like what this guy's saying, like, keep, keep going. Um, how, how has the staking mechanism um, and, the, and the reward mechanisms for staking uh, been built in? And what was the, the general logic behind that? Sure. So Cosmos staking is uh, relatively simple. Mm, there is a variable inflation rate that targets two-thirds of all items staked as security. And that inflation rate ranges between 7% and 20%. So for example, you know, if we have one third of all atoms staked on the Cosmos hub, maybe the inflation rate would be much higher, you know, 15, 18%, right? To encourage more people to stake their tokens. And as the, the amount of staked tokens rises up to two thirds and even, even above two thirds, the you know, inflation rate will drop down to, you know, down all the way to 7%, you know, to signify to the community that, you know, we have enough tokens staked the rest of the tokens are, are open for, you know, for other uses, you know, okay. speculation or trading, just staying liquid in your wallet instead of being staked. For sure. I mean, you know, uh, it, I describe it as dirty sometimes, which it isn't necessarily, um, but speculation is positive. Like I said before, um, you know, the, the hype and the sentiment surrounding Kava and some of these other different exchange or not exchanges, but digital assets um, that are built on Cosmos SDK is extremely powerful and obviously is being attributed now to not just the Atom token, but also um, some of the interests within uh, the Cosmos SDK as well, especially um, with the potential successful fingers crossed IBC um, release as well. So yeah, I mean, while speculation is probably the only other use of atoms right now, other than staking, that's not always going to be the case. Um, there are experiments in the ecosystem to create an automated market maker style DEX in the style of Uniswap and possibly put that on the hub. So, you know, aside from staking, you may want to provide liquidity for other tokens through this idea of a DEX on the hub. Um, okay. And we see atoms being used maybe by other chains, you know, once IBC is launched. So there's going to be a huge need for atoms in the future. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree um, just based upon sort of what I'm, I'm hearing here uh, as well. For, for those that are, that are listening, um, he refers to it as the inflation rate. It's the, the inflation rate, but also staking reward percentage. It's kind of, it's kind of interchangeable. Um, so just as, a, just as an apples to apples comparison. Um, you mentioned some potential new uh, utilizations of atoms, obviously theoretical right now, or maybe in very early stage of development uh, within DeFi. Whenever I was talking to Florian Liss of staking facilities, um, 
he had mentioned something that had just caught my ear, just talking about the ability to do indexation of staking coins or, or, or proof of stake uh, networks where it's like, okay, we've got Cosmos over here. We've got uh, Solana over here. We've got Polkadot over here. Let's figure out a way for a speculator or a node operator that wants to have exposure to maybe all three. They only need to hold one particular coin and can still reap the rewards, the inflation rate rewards um, for staking of all three without necessarily needing to hold all three and, and have different, you know, uh, non-custodial, uh, holding for that. Was that something that, um, you guys were looking at? I, I, I think he mentioned it in reference to you, but if not, is that something that you had, that you have heard before within this community? Because that's incredibly interesting, uh, from my particular perspective for a variety of reasons. Yeah, so I don't know if we're working exactly on that. You know, I think the closest parallel to what Florian List had said, you know, to the idea of an index fund of proof of stake tokens um, involves the use of shared security, right? We think that the atom may be that token, right? If you hold the atom, it may serve as an index fund of IBC enabled tokens. So, you know, I can't say the same for Polkadot or, or Solana right now. Um, there's an interesting aside, actually, which I'll, I want to dive into for a few seconds. Um, yeah, let's which do is, it. Yeah, IBC is being worked on um, by a team within the Cosmos ecosystem for a substrate, you know, which is what Polkadot uses for their SDK. And I believe the, um, the Interchain Foundation, which funds most of Cosmos development work, is also looking into what it takes to support IBC for Solana. So, you know, there might be this feature where where Polkadot-based chains and Solana-based um, tokens can also coexist and be transferred through the cosmos. Very so going, going back to the original idea, so how shared security can enable, you know, the index fund of IBC enable, well, I'm speaking too fast here. So how the Atom can, um, can serve as index fund, right? Uh, it's through shared security, right? If the Atom is used to secure other blockchains, through shared security, then it will serve as, you know, this index fund across multiple chains. Okay. Because we, let me explain. So we see that in the future chains, you know, may want to gain this extra amount of security offered by the hub and the atom is a way to do it. But then, you know, if the atom is serving as a token for multiple chains, then how does that work, right? So we see a future where many chains in the future may have two tokens, may launch with two tokens, right? One is the staking token in the vein of the atom. And the other is their gas token or their fee token. So depending on, you know, what the founders of the chain want, if they care about something like shared security, you know, they want to gain the extra level of security offered by the hub, then they might start off with two tokens. And uh, the token that's based on the atom may end up changing to the atom in the future, gotcha. which will allow, you know, gas, on that chain to be paid for by the gas token, but allow the security to be managed by the Cosmos hub. Okay. Now I think I'm starting to, I'm starting to see kind of like the future and how that could potentially evolve. It's security as a service. So let, let me, let mm -hmm. me break this down how I see it in my mind. And you let me know if I'm, if I'm totally off or, or, or not quite there just yet, but let's just say a new chain 
a new protocol is looking to launch that is going to solve ABC use case or, or looking to address that. They're launching, but like with anyone that knows, especially within this space, um, you know, your security is tied to the robustness, the amount of uh, people or stakeholders that you have involved within the network. So typically, whenever these projects start, they're quite small. They've got a core group of people that believe in it, but it's not necessarily uh, a super expansive community that you will get over a few years and also through um, growing the network effects, which are incredibly prevalent within digital assets. So you're saying that if it was like, all right, I'm going to start a new protocol based upon whatever. Uh, it's like I can have our token to be able to support the transactions that are going to be eventually done on the on the network. But in the meantime, to ensure the security of it, um, which is an additional way to to hopefully um, attract more and more participants, developer participants on it, or real world use cases on it. Thinking about DeFi, because it's like, why would I, uh, you know, issue a bond? on Cosmos or a new chain for let's just say a billion dollars, if I wasn't 100% certain on the security, I can sort of go to my security as a service provider, Adam, you know, leverage them at the beginning and then eventually down the line decide whether or not I want to make that choice to, you know, I've got enough and I can handle that myself or just say it's worked out well enough and we can just uh, sort of toss that off to, to Adam for the foreseeable future. That's exactly right. You okay. know? And I want to emphasize that there's a spectrum to this idea of shared security, right? I think many chains will want to start off sovereign to begin with. But like you said, building the network effect is incredibly costly and very difficult to do. So what the hub is offering in terms of you know, shared security is the idea to you know, take a shortcut to community building and be instantly secured for the Cosmos Hub, which will make it more likely for people to start using your zone immediately for higher value transactions. Like maybe the most obvious example is, is a DEX, right? That maybe starts off on its own, but you know, no one's gonna use a DEX or put funds on that DEX it, where the value you know, on the DEX exceeds the value of that network. So we're helpful by backing that DEX on a separate zone with the 1 billion plus valuation of the hub will make that DEX, you know, much more of an interesting uh, product to start using immediately. But we, yeah, well, we want to make sure that this is an option, right? You do not ever have to use the hub security. You can always create your own network. And I think that to me is what separates Cosmos from, from other projects like Polkadot in which every single chain does, you know, use shared security. I, I really, I really like that. Um, in all honesty, and, and for me, it, it rings most true to DeFi applications. So I've said it before in, in other podcasts, and hopefully, I mean, I don't think I've offended anyone. If, if I have, then whatever, um, is I really like the idea of decentralized finance in theory. I think at its current stage, there's still a little bit of bugs that need to be worked out. But one of the principal bugs um, that we've seen, sort of like with some of these protocols, whether it be um, most recent, I believe with, with Opine, with, um, we've seen a lot of hacks. So security is of 
the utmost importance, which we're at an early stage. So at the end of the day, um, there's not that much value that is actually being lost. But if it's going to fulfill its end goal uh, of sort of supplanting uh, centralized financial conglomerates or huge organizations, then a certain layer of security, not just from a technical code perspective, but also, you know, from a network perspective as well, uh, is absolutely mandatory. So I think shared security is a really, really interesting premise for developers that maybe have a, a new idea or a new chain that they can do it better, more secure from a technological perspective, maybe from a privacy perspective, but don't have the time uh, to build out the security right now. They can focus on a high, their higher value purpose, which is X, Y, or Z, whatever I sort of you know regurgitated right there and sort of delegate um, security, have high level security from day one. Uh, with shared with shared security potentially um, with a network like like Cosmos as well. Yeah, you know, people in the Cosmos ecosystem love Ethereum. You know, a lot of us are are ETH holders as well, and we're really excited to see you know the the explosion of DeFi activity happening on the Ethereum chain. We're also, frankly, we're terrified by it. Right? There are many people operating on the Ethereum blockchain at the same time. Right? As in the example uh, of a Google Sheet a multiplayer Google Sheets, right? And we are afraid that this is going to cause more hacks in the future, right? Possibly hacks bigger than the, the DAO hack, you know, years ago. And this is going to be an eventuality for, for Ethereum to have to handle. Um, and it's something that, you know, we're, we're concerned of happening on, you know, the Cosmos Hub as well. But we're hopeful that because one of our core values is the idea of sovereign blockchains, you know, a lot of these experiments might happen not on the hub itself, but on different chains. And, you know, the atom holders on the hub will vote to see whether we want to, you know, share our security with these chains, with these unproven new chains, or whether not to do so at all because they're too risky and experimental. Another example from Ethereum, you know, I want to quickly dive into is, you know, uh, CryptoKitties, right? CryptoKitties basically halted the Ethereum network uh, for quite some time because, Everyone wanted to play with CryptoKitties. And we believe this is one clear example of where, you know, this sort of use case for Ethereum did not even have to happen on ETH. But, uh, you know, with something like Ethermint, CryptoKitties can build their own project on top of Ethermint, keep it as a sovereign zone. You know, over time, as the project matures, um, you know, it can either stay a sovereign zone or connect to the hub. And that way, you know, the hub is firewalled from these more risky effects of new chains and new projects that start up but is able to safely, you know, shared security with, um, you know, chains that have proven their use case and uh, proven their market and also their stability over a longer period of time. I think that it makes an incredible amount of uh, sense. I, I don't have a technical background, but to me, that sounds like uh, testing environment. So, you know, at, at the fund that I run, we do automated uh, algorithmic trading and mm -hmm. there's always like a testing environment before you push things into the live environment. So you train it in the wild, work out as many bugs as possible before you release it into your, or you train it in the laboratory, work out as many bugs as possible before you release it into the wild. And that's, that's very endemic of software development. So that's kind of how that sounds where it's like, you've got a bunch of test chains where you can work out the bugs. And then once they've proven that 
they are stable enough or have got the right amount of use case or blah, 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 whatever it might be, then you can bring it into uh, the, the main chain which is not the case on Ethereum as well, which is why, you know, personally, I, I think the biggest risk to Ethereum could be DeFi itself because um, everything is starting to just stack on one another. So you've got this new thing, this lending thing, this next thing, we've got yield farming, we've got this, 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 index, and the technology at the base layer uh, has proven, has been shown over time that, uh, there's some flaws in it and it needs to be updated. Obviously we're going from 1.0 to 2.0. So whenever you already start to stack layers of complexity on what for all intents and purposes is a flawed base layer, you could have a hell of a problem in the future if there's ever sort of like a cataclysmic event where you look at it almost like an avalanche where that isn't possible on Cosmos for all the reasons that you guys sort of articulated. Yeah, that, that's exactly, you know, the point that I wanted, was going to raise, which is testing of DeFi protocols and, and, you know, products that build on top of other DeFi protocols all are really happening on Ethereum mainnet, right? Testing is happening on mainnet. And that's, that's a big red flag for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're hopeful not to repeat that in the Cosmos ecosystem and, you know, to allow these experiments to happen you know, possibly not connected to the hub and to introduce them over time. I got you. In a more stable fashion. Um, so we've got a couple, we got a couple minutes left. Um, where do you see the future of Cosmos going? So before we wrap, you know, this, this space is so, it moves so fast. So let's just say over the next two years, where do you see uh, the Cosmos network and or the Atom token um, moving towards? Yeah, so in the Cosmos network, I foresee an explosion in the number of blockchains that exist. Um, we're betting on this internally within Tendermint. Like, you know, the product that we mentioned we're building earlier, Starport, is only the beginning to what we hope to offer to application developers. And uh, we're working our hardest on onboarding mainstream developers you know, who have potential blockchain use cases to get them to start off with Starport, you know, to scaffold up an app in, in, in a period of minutes and to show them that you know they can participate in this ecosystem, you know, without having to learn the entire history of blockchain up until this point, or you know, spending weeks learning how to use the SDK. So you know, approachability and lowering the barrier to entry is something that we're really, you know, passionate about. So we expect to see many, many more chains in the future. Got you. Is there is there one exogenous threat that that sort of concerns you? Um... For your chain, so obviously we were just talking about Ethereum and how uh, it kind of mm -hmm. scares you guys a lot. Is there anything else outside of the particular Ethereum Ripple uh, effect that that maybe keeps you up at night? Yeah, I think you know Cosmos Network as a whole has a very bright future, um, but for, you know for the Cosmos Hub, there there's more question marks over you know the usefulness of the Cosmos Hub. You know, the more we support sovereign blockchains, you know, the more the question of whether the hub is useful or not, you know, is part of that, you know, line of thinking. And so that's why we're, we're working so hard on things like shared security and hopeful that, you know, due to the fact that the hub has had one of the, the biggest head starts, you know, in front of other Cosmos SDK chains, 
And due to the fact that it's been stable for you know more than a year and secures more than a billion in assets, it will serve as you know as a natural hub for for other chains, and can help you know, like we said before, um, shortcut the need for other chains to to build a community and to build that network effect by adopting Cosmos Hub shared security. Got you. I mean, from everything that I that I've heard. Um, I find it incredibly interesting and I'll be very, very curious to keep an eye on you guys, uh, in particular to some of the deadlines that you were, that we were talking about, uh, beforehand. So finger, fingers crossed that the deadlines will go off without a hitch because quite frankly, I think, uh, those are just additional validation points, um, that lend more credibility, but also more comfortability. Uh, to a lot of the areas of opportunity, whether it's uh, outside developers, developers already within the digital asset community um, that want to that that look at Cosmos and say like, hey, well, maybe I want to play uh, within within this space, or maybe I want to uh, engage with them a little bit more directly. So I'm really I'll be really curious to watch. Um, how you guys move and how you guys execute uh, for the rest of 2020, whatever 2020 has uh, in store for us. So with that, uh, we'll wrap up. Pung, I really appreciate you taking time out of your morning um, to be able to have a conversation with me. And hopefully I'll be able to uh, look forward to having you again on the podcast to be able to talk about all the awesome deadlines you've hit and all the uh, you know additional traction and growth that you guys have made for the network as well. Thank you, Kiris, for giving me this opportunity you know, to articulate some of these thoughts that I've been having about the Cosmos ecosystem. Awesome. Uh, you know, as a team and as a community, we're really hard at work implementing some of these things that we've talked about on this call. So you know, I'd be glad you know, to be on the show again to talk to you about the things and the progress that we've made so far. I, I cannot wait uh, for, that, for that next one. So until the next time, everyone, uh, stay safe out there, and I will talk to you soon.